Come on down to the Law Student Lounge with your host, Attorney Ryan McKean, where law students like you tell their stories. So pull up a chair and join us in the lounge. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be here today. I am here with Shane Crowley. Shane is a 1L uh, evening student at New England School of Law. Uh, hi, Shane. Hi, and hi. It's nice to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. So nice. Uh, so nice to have you on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am, again, a 1L. Thanks for the introduction there. And I am in the evening program. I have a full-time job currently. I'm in uh, legal technology sales, and that really describes my background pretty well as well. Uh, heading out of undergrad at College of the Holy Cross, I majored in history there. Came out with a strong interest in law. Um, I have a lot of family members that, you know, throughout the country practice in law. And after bending their ear for a bit, you know, I, I, I decided to get into sort of an interim, you know, selling to lawyers, learning about the, you know, the business of law, what it takes as far as, you know, relationships throughout the industry. And uh, I started my career in court reporting, selling remote solutions. I, and now I'm into e-discovery, uh, all, all aspects of investigations, case build out. So it's been an interesting perspective and yeah, it's made me very excited for this next chapter here. Yeah. So that is awesome. I have a, I'm a history yeah. major and I have a very intense interest in uh, legal technology and where this is all going. Um, and I also yeah. think like any person, any, every lawyer would benefit from having a sales background. I always tell lawyers, I'm like, we are in a sales business. Um, at the end of the day, you have to convince a client to do something. You have to convince a colleague to do something. You have to convince a judge to do something and basic sales skills uh, will serve you well. They certainly have in my career. I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car and I was trained on selling the insurance that nobody wants when they go and buy a car or they go and rent a car. So sales experience is really important. Can you talk about what were you drawn to legal tech or is it just something you fell into? You know, and it's funny you say that, that, that mirrors the feedback that my whole family gave me, which was, you know, develop some of these professional skills first while you can, because you'll be studying and, you know, in the weeds of law. And I, I wanted to, you know, be prepared on the sales side of things. Legal tech really presented a good opportunity because it's, you know, in many firms, it's an intimate aspect of how they do business. You know, legal tech really runs the gamut. And by learning about legal tech, you can learn a lot about the inner you know, internal workings of the firm. It, I did kind of stumble into it actually at first at Robert Half, where I was uh, putting together legal teams for reviews, selling those as, you know, temporary assistance to law firms that they have to scale up for large projects. So identifying stuff through that and ultimately found that legal tech, you know, a very hot, bo hot button topic of interest at a lot of firms and, you know, started scouring the markets, finding out who were, you know, interesting leaders in that place, you know, how I could learn more and really how I could develop a, a knowledge set that would be a benefit to, you know, a future firm I land at. You know, I, I think a ton about this. It's probably where I spend like most of my week, actually, because I'm now the CEO of this firm and I need to lead it through growth and future. And really in so many ways, like I think of us as a tech firm, that deliver that delivers legal services. And so <laughs> the name of the game is really optimizing one's tech stack to deliver better results for clients and for, you know, our attorneys who have the tools at their disposal uh, to do their job quickly and efficiently so they can be home and they can be at 
baseball practice with their kids and, you know, we can provide as a firm good health insurance. And I can't get back to solving that problem uh, without legal technology. And why I think that that's interesting is I'm really actually concerned that law schools are so far behind in terms of what the skills are needed for the future. Uh, look, when I went to law school, like learning how to blue book and cite and research and process case law and all that stuff was incredibly important and be a great writer and write briefs, right? And right now, I mean, I was playing around with Westlaw's uh, generative AI uh, tool that they released last week. And I'm like, boy, I'm like, this is good. Uh, it's only going to get better. And, you know, what are law schools doing with this? And the answer, I mean, the answer I, I know, which is nothing, but like, what what is it that they're, you know, the skills I think lawyers and law students need to be trained on uh, going forward in the future, one of which are, is project management skills. I think it comes down to your ability to manage a team, to manage a a project, to marshal resources, uh, to navigate external and external forces. I think it comes down to the ability to strategize, the ability to communicate with clients, and the ability to leverage technology to accomplish all of those things. So gone are the days where I think the people who are most successful coming out of law school are the ones who are amazing at writing notes and doing uh, blue book, because I think the practice of law is changing so fundamentally that it's not going to be, you know, finding the right legal answer, it's going to be like, so what do you do with that? And can you convince your client or you convince a judge that this is the right thing? Um, and so it's sort of like, you know, look, you could drive a car, but where do you want to go with it? And and I think, you know, too often law school is teaching people how to like build cars. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think it's a, it's an interesting place for the schools to be in as well. You know, it's a, a lot of the most exciting AI is, you know, there's some apprehension around some of it for the time being. I'm sure as the future unfolds, you know, we'll get a clearer understanding of exactly where use cases are proper and that kind of thing. But ultimately, it is going to have a large impact. And, you know, I think the school's way, the classical understanding of how things should go and what people should, in, you know, intricately be aware of, while also understanding that some of this workflow is probably not what they're going to be spending as much of their time as they may have previously been, you know, doing. I've, I've heard a lot about that Lexus tool. It sounds very interesting. And I think, you know, regarding the PM aspect, I see that very, very consistently throughout my work. I'm often talking to attorneys who are putting together game plans for cases, actively managing ongoing matters. And it's it's funny how intertwined those project management skills can be with technology. You know, there you do need a pretty substantive awareness of that. So yeah, that's an interesting point to bring up. I do see that so frequently. And the pressure from clients and just the, you know, the employees of a firm is has, I think, increased and probably will increase where, you know, attorneys like the solutions, especially, you know, younger attorneys that are exposed to new technology at the beginning of their practice. You know, they really like firms that can sort of, uh, you know, adjust to that, provide them workflows that are most efficient for them. And we're, you know, we're seeing clients often too, starting to look into things about how case teams can be more efficient through technology. So there's definitely those those aspects of the, uh, the pressure as well. Yeah. Here, here's what I think. I mean, I, I, this is a really interesting place to take this conversation. I'm so glad you're on this podcast. And I hope, I know people who are listening out there, this is going to be so, so valuable to them, even if it's a little bit different than what we usually do, because I spend almost all of my time thinking about 
legal technology and where it's going and how we need to use it and where we should be adapting and also just like general technology because like there there's like widely amazing consumer technology right so we were before this call we were um we're rebuilding our website and the web company had sort of a final draft for us to go through and we had some feedback uh and so instead of hopping on a zoom call me and my marketing director we sat down we had a loom call and we went through the website and we said this this that this it then summarizes what we said to them it then makes chapters on what we said it edits out the ums and ahs it speeds it up to 1.2 and we send it off and so our team is um one of them is in utah another of them is in california I, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, they, they could be having breakfast right now for all I know, but they, but they have that video that they can watch in an asynchronous way. And that's just loom.ai. That's, that's freely usable. I think it's probably $14 a month uh, license, which we use. Um, and there's so many of these tools, Grammarly being another one that are just amazing. And what I see is, I think that the, the problem with technology up until this year, up until this moment in time, really, the end of this year, which is we're 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 recording this in 2023, is technology has not made people's lives easier. So yes, yes, it is somewhat easier to send an email than to go to the mailbox. But all of a sudden, you have ten emails instead of one letter, and nobody is spending less time like corresponding. They're actually in fact spending like more time. But when you start to look at these generative AI products and the ability to summarize and generate and guide and serve as assistance, like, whoa, is it incredible? Whoa, is it easy to use? And so like there is just a huge, huge, huge sea change uh, that are going out there in like your your 1L evening student. So presumably you'll get licensed in like 2027. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's the goal. So the, the the products that are going to change the, the the technology that's going to change like I don't even think that anybody can see that far um but know that like if you're in law school like you need to really pay attention to legal technology like I don't know how you do it if your law school offers a class I just taught a class um at Suffolk University with Gabe uh, Tenenbaum who's amazing and like they're innovation lab and talking about this but go find that stuff out talk to like the most important conversations you could have could be like with your westlaw vendors on how to use some of this stuff because you're going to come out into firms that may or may not know how to do this and like those skills are going to be incredibly important um i mean does this play into how you're looking at law school at all or what it is that you want to do when you get out yeah that this plays directly into it so i would say that you know, it, it it poses an interesting opportunity for current law students, which is there's so much happening. You know, I can only say that I've seen honestly thousands of legal tech companies come out in the last few years. And really, I think to some extent, we're actually seeing a storm before the calm, so to speak, because, you know, right now it's a bit fuzzy. We can see the impact. We can see the potential. I think a lot of firms are starting to hone in on you know, exactly where these workflows are going to go in the future. But I think that it's a great opportunity for any students to really study that market impact, what's what's occurring, where it's successful, where it's not successful, you know, how to institute that. A lot of these phenomenal applications allow for certifications, trainings, really in-depth project management, data understanding. I think that's going to be something that this generation of law students can focus on to bring as value 
to any future firms they come to that may, you know, in their busy day-to-day workflow, not to have as much time. And I think you can really show your value for your potential employer that, you know, you have an awareness of this and you're coming prepared, ready to, you know, help the firm stay up to date in this, you know, new phase that I'm sure we're going to be seeing over the next four years. I know a lot of people tend to put the brakes on and, uh, you know, I've seen that, but I will say my discussions at firms throughout the country, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not something that it's not on the radar. And I do see this continuing to, you know, become a larger impact as things move forward. And I think it's important for students to stay up on that um, and really understand where law is going in that respect. Yeah. Here, here, take this in two different, I'm going to break that into two different chunks because what you said yeah. is really important. One, one of which is, I mean, I say like sales skills are really important for, for lawyers. And uh, that is definitely a message that, that I have. I don't care if you're doing internal tax code regulation stuff, or you're trying to uh, do what we do and try personal injury cases, like sales matters a ton uh, and everything in between. What are good sales skills? Like what is, what is like somebody who's good at sales? Like what is it that they do? You know, I'm going to have an interesting answer here because I think this is often extremely true, which is, you know, a lot of people, you know, going to high school, going to undergrad, especially, you know, a lot of the great attorneys, they very eager to jump in, they jump straight into law school. They're very busy with work. And, you know, there's a certain aspect of just becoming very comfortable with yourself, very comfortable reaching out to people that you haven't spoken to, uh, you know, comfortable giving straight, honest feedback in a way that's, you know, has that etiquette that's going to be required, but also really just putting yourself out there and just being comfortable about it, being someone that appears to be comfortable in your own skin. I think, you know, a lot of students, it's it's hard to develop putting yourself in pressure situations or putting yourself out there in something that, you know, may otherwise have made you feel apprehensive. I think it's really just getting over all of that and being someone that can participate in the community, attend events, start to make connections, really meet people, because, you know, in the practice, my goal is to become, you know, somewhat of a subject matter expert on whatever I end up practicing in and really being able to voice that and, you know, participate in my community that's practicing in that law and becoming a member that people know and people could reach out to and developing that network. I think a lot of it is just exposure. It's about becoming comfortable and starting to see that that is really something that's very productive for your career. But, you know, again, if you don't have much exposure to that, I can only say my first couple years in sales, you know, that is something you have to get over. It's 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 a skill that you have to develop. And I think that it's definitely a very valuable thing for attorneys to develop throughout their careers. And that's something I was really focused on trying to get prior to joining a firm, you know, having been on, you know, so many sales teams in my life here. So, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to break down something. We're not going to talk yeah. legal tech. Okay. I'm going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you're good at sales and yes, uh, confidence, uh, going out there, getting, connecting with people in the community, getting rejected over and over and learning how to deal with that rejection is important, but I'm going to break this down and even a more micro level for folks out there listening. I've got in my hand, I've got a case for Apple AirPods. Apple AirPods are in your ears as well as we talk. Yeah. Say I am a customer on the fence about Apple AirPods. I don't know if they're for me. How do you move me to buy Apple AirPods? You know, I'd probably ask about your day-to-day. What do you do? I mean, are you are you a professional? Are you someone that likes to work out? Are you someone that is a music enjoyer, a podcast enjoyer? Do you commute? You know, really what it is that you're going to be using them for? And then just, you know, especially with something like AirPods, which is a lucky one, you have the ability to then provide 
sort of market insight. You know, why is this a product that people are adopting? What has been the outcome in that regard? And so you, you know, a lot I'm of times, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt you. I'm gonna pause you here, okay? Because this, this, this is, yeah, yeah. this is so important. This could be the most valuable moment. If I do a hundred episodes, this could be the most valuable part of it, okay? Yeah. You said I'm gonna try to find out about you. Are you professional? Do you like to work out? Why do you want to know that? Why is that the first step in your process? You know, really, because the exchange of information is helping the conversation anyway. Anyone that is potentially going to buy a product, let's say it's legal services or even AirPods, is going to want to know that you have an understanding, that you're not just eager to sell them things. Now, AirPods as a product might be a little bit more, you know, commoditized than like a legal service. But just knowing that you're talking to someone who wants to understand your situation has a market awareness of that situation and can really just inform you on what the benefit of, let's say, AirPods would be. Now, a lot of times, I, some of my best sales I've ever made, it's through that inform, you know, informative selling, which is learning about them, learning about their past and what they want their future to be, and advising them on similar situations that exist, how, how these products are applied, how they're deployed, you know, in the respect to any legal technology, how firms use it, what really is the bottom line for why they use it, why they continue to use it moving forward. But a lot of times sales doesn't have to end in like a close right away. A lot of times it is developing an informative relationship where you'll hear back someone, you might follow up. Hey, it's two weeks later. I have a question about the AirPods. You know, you said that if you work, it's going to be helpful for Zoom calls because you can, you know, especially with AirPod, the new ones, you can mute out the background noise. Developing that relationship where you're coming at it from a consultative approach, where you're always available, you're knowledgeable about their situation, and you can advise them moving forward, it really builds that trust. And ultimately, if that person's going to move forward with a product such as AirPods, you're going to be their person that they're going to be looking to because you understand them, their situation, and you know what they're looking to accomplish. Yeah. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take it a little bit bigger scale on that than you. And yeah, where yeah. it gets to with legal argument, where it gets to, to working with employees, project management, anything, what you're really saying is it begins with empathy. It begins with empathy. And you're saying like, because, you know, look, if you're, if you're like, Hey, these are the greatest things to work out and I don't work out like gone. Right. So it starts with understanding the needs of somebody else. That somebody else could be a client, that somebody else could be a judge, it could be a jury, it could be a defense lawyer. So anytime I'm in a room and I'm trying to mediate a case or resolve a case, the, I do an empathy analysis. Like, what does what does everybody need here? What do they want here? Why are they taking this position? What can they live with? What can they live without? And so when we try, when like when we try, jury try cases, like the number one thing that we try to do is have immense empathy for our jurors because our jurors are busy. Like they've got lives, they work jobs. Like they may be a little bit excited to serve on a jury, but by and large, like their time is valuable and they know it and they're busy, right? And so we try to have empathy by saying, how can we make this as quick as possible? How can we give them as little as possible? How can we be as concise as possible so they're not waiting for us to call witnesses? Because juries get incredibly mad when when lawyers are like, I don't know where my next witness is, or can we end early? Or they appear to be fumbling around for exhibits. Like it is an act of empathy 
in the sales process, we are trying to convince a jury to see our side of the case. And one of the ways we do it is really just by putting ourselves in their shoes. And the same with a judge. Um, you know, most often judges, uh, if you're trying to sell them, you know, the thing that they they can live with making a ruling. That's not a problem. That's why they became a judge. They don't want to be appealed. And they don't want to be told by an appellate court that they are wrong. So as you're trying to, to, to persuade a judge, you're like, here's why this is the safe thing. The appellate court will support you on ruling in my favor, not just I'm right because um, you really need to you need to start with empathy because then you can empower through education. I think I, in, a, in a sales process. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, from my perspective, what I often say is that in the sales, let's call it a sales conversation, because, you know, at the base, a lot of this is what it is. The excitement should be placed on that empathy or that discovery, right? Finding out more. That's where you should show your excitement. You don't want, you know, you don't want to so much lead with the excitement of the product or the clothes or getting them the product. You want all of your interest and excitement to be placed on understanding them, how you can accommodate, how you can best provide them with what they need, whether that's information, services, whatever it is. But I think exhibiting that excitement in that portion of the conversation and really keeping your focus there, the product in whether we're talking about legal services or AirPods or technology, the product really that's, that is understood. You know, it's something that that's why we're having the discussion and it's, it's understood. And I always think that the excitement is best placed when you're talking in getting to know them, building the relationship, adhering to, you know, things that they need to be done in a certain way. And I think when you show that, they start to understand that, you know, they have someone there that's got their best interest in mind, that's, you know, has a, a good business practice as far as etiquette's concerned. And you develop that trust that's going to be required for any next step to even, you know, go in the way that you'd like it to go. Yeah. And, and, and so that, I mean, this is like, look, we could end the Murphy, we could end the, uh, end the episode right here. And uh, if you got nothing else out of it, other than, you know, this basic sales one-on-one that's going to play out throughout your career, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's like, if you get out and you work for a partner, like what does the partner need? The partner, if you're going to empathize with them, wants their life to be made easier. So I'm giving you this project uh, so I don't have to do it. And if you're trustworthy and you're making my life more, you know, easier, that's fantastic for your career. And if you're complicating it, because I'm like, I don't know, and I've got to trust, I've got to do more work, then that's, uh, that's not there. So, you know, really begin with how it is that you that you want to persuade. So, all right, enough about sales, enough about legal tech. Usually we begin and sort of almost end the conversation. So what, what makes you go to law school? What, when, when do you decide how long have you been out of Holy Cross? Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so I graduated in 2017 from Holy Cross. So I've been out for, wow, what's that, six years now. And, you know, I always had a start target early 2020s because I did want to get my feet under me, live in the professional world, start to understand certain areas of the law because I've had a good breadth of exposure to different types of firms. And so I could start to understand what I'm interested in. And, you know, in that in that time period, it was very, very helpful. I mean, COVID happened, which was interesting to see how that impacted a lot of philosophy surrounding my market of interest, which is practice technology and specifically investigations and discovery and heading into the new big bad world of data that's going to be coming soon as Gen Z arrives into the professional world with all of the new avenue streams that will have to be you know, identified, collected, and reviewed. So 
my goal really was to get a good grasp on that, develop industry contacts that could be of value to me moving forward, uh, you know, meeting leaders throughout that industry, bending their ear. Oftentimes, I'll even mention on calls, you know, that I'm in law school myself. So if I get someone that's, you know, very high level with an impressive background, I, you know, I'll get some of their thoughts. And I've been doing that for so many years at this point that it's really helped me just come to law school prepared for what I know I want to do. And with the confidence that I can go out and do it, you know, by, by just going through the process with, to the best of my ability. So what um, is it that you want to do yeah. when you get out of law school? Well, I'm very interested in litigation. Primarily, I've, I've been in discovery for, for years at this point, and I've, I've seen extremely interesting things happening there and the problems that are starting to arise from the amount of data sources that exist and are growing and continuing to expand every year. So, you know, it's sort of an, one thing I, I did want to do in my period of not being in law school and being in the professional world is identify an area of need within law that I saw as a growing issue that is going to have to be addressed through knowledge and, you know, attorneys that are well equipped to handle those problems. Uh, now, you know, you could go through more of a sort of a statutory analysis, find laws that are going to, you know, maybe start to become more of a litigated area of practice. But, you know, in, in my respect, I found that through the technology aspect and what concerns are starting to come up heading into, you know, 2030 and beyond, really, because I'm trying to have a long view of, of where I should fit in and how I'm going to best be able to provide unique value that would set me apart and really make the degree worthwhile, make my experience worthwhile and, you know, help in the employment, just practical skills that, you know, I think are going to be in demand as we move forward. You say you work with a lot of law, law firms. What is it that the best law firms that you see, what is it that sets them apart? You know, I would say two things, serious interest in innovating, and then very comprehensive analysis. And I would say to some extent, you know, being not slow to the uptake, but being very uh, deliberate in the uptake of any innovation, because the practices that I deal with are innovating fast, but the best teams, they have an extremely strong awareness of what's out there, what's working, what isn't the timing on when to make switches, and just an overall strong understanding of the land, the competitive landscape, not being firms that, you know, aren't instituting certain tools that end up saving their clients 10% on their case, which I often see. Just, you know, really being involved, but also being apprehensive and deliberate as far as decisions go, but not closing off. Because some firms, I, I will find, think that tech is sort of overblown and it's not something that needs to be too heavily thought about or invested in. You know, I don't think that's a great approach, but I, I also have bumped into firms before that might try to do too much. So I think it's really having a strong understanding of dedicated people at the firm that are going to be those sources of knowledge, but then also very considerate and deliberate, you know, understandings of how processes should be and can be innovated. You know, and that that speaks to something. And look, if you're in law school, I mean, like the goal is always to be the best lawyer you could be. And it's a huge learning curve to get there. Um, it takes years yeah. in practice. I sometimes uh, think or suggest that it takes about 10 years to figure that out. Like it's a lot of hours. But what you need to know is if you're out there, don't just waste all your training and smarts and skills that you've picked up uh, in law school and just only apply them to law. The most successful firms apply those very same things, the analytical thinking, 
the the testing, the analysis, the feedback, they apply it to their business practices as well. And they move intentionally. And the very, you know, firms that I know will go extinct, like they will be wiped off the face of the earth are ones where they only sort of they, they may even be good lawyers like they, they but they're 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 focused on I'm just I'm applying my 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 mind my critical thinking skills my efforts all to just working on a case and meanwhile like their business is on fire and in order to do great legal work you need to be a you need your business needs to have a very solid foundation uh so I believe I believe those things to my core what you said about the firms being intentional and open uh, and communicative and deliberate, like those are all things that good lawyers do. So apply those things to your business practice. And look, when I say business, and everybody who does not work for a government agency as a lawyer is in their own business. You are running a business, whether you know it, you like it, there is a profit margin attached to your work. There are systems, there is marketing, there's your, you know, your survival will largely depend upon your ability to generate results and also generate new clients for whatever it is that you're doing. So don't just take those skills, those writing skills and say, keep them to your briefs, like write some stuff on LinkedIn, like post some stuff. Um, if you're a great, you're, you're a very uh, charismatic, you know, person or whatever, you know, take this doing some videos. Don't just save that for the courtroom. And that's going to carry you pretty far. I, that is the exact attitude that firms that I would deem as very good firms for the future, you know, uh, have a great path ahead of them, that that is the attitude that they, you know, subsume. And in my discussions with them, that's what they apply. They apply sort of legal thinking to how they're going to approach business. They're very, you know, they're open to what they don't understand. And they they are very good at adjusting, you know, digesting information, seeing how it can apply to the situation at, at hand for them. Um, and I, yeah, I think that that is extremely true. Even, yeah, even with just communication overall, I mean, it's something attorneys do develop in throughout practice and even in school in some points. And it's, again, you know, I think that that does marry up with the sales marketing aspect well, because, you know, you do develop skills as far as clear communication clear communication, all those aspects. And I think that it is important to really promote those outside of just the actual specific practice of law. It's you're really a holistic individual at these firms. And you want to make sure that you're, you know, taking care of all aspects of, you know, that are not just sub, you know, subject just to the, uh, you know, the law at hand that you're working with. Awesome. Yeah. So this has been like fantastic. I'm usually I talk about what is law school like? What is, uh, you know, what are you doing? I think I can I think I can not talk about this here um, because I think there's so much regarding your story, talking about sales, talking about legal business that it is so, so valuable. And, you know, really, I like I'm talking to you and I'm just like, man, like in 10 years, I'm going to see you on LinkedIn and you're going to have blown something up. I mean, like in a good way, not not in like a bad yeah, way. Yeah, like, yeah. No, but you're approaching it the right way. Uh, your skill set of sales and project management and technology are really the skills that are vital to future success in law. Um, I, I just, I don't see any two ways around it. So Shane, if, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way to reach me, frankly, would be LinkedIn first and foremost, and I'm Shane Crowley. You can filter for Boston, you'll find me assuredly. Um, and then also via email, I can be reached at Shane Krause, C-R-O-W, 
94 at gmail.com. And your classmate, uh, Maximo, I did his interview last week. And I, I had gone, I had gone some time. I, I, we, we put on a conference up in Boston. We put on $100 million yeah. day, took up a lot of my energy, was, was very successful, but I wasn't able to get to the podcast as much as I can. So I'm trying to catch up and do some episodes as yeah. we wind down 20. Hey, and congrats on that too. Thank you. Trying to get to some, trying to, trying to do some stuff, but I would always end the episodes with this one question and Maximo was prepared for it. And I didn't ask the question. I was out of, out of uh, shape, I guess, in my yeah. podcast host uh, duties here. And so he said it like after the zoom, after we, after we stopped hitting the record button. Uh, so I said to him, I said, I'm not going to look, I, I am so sorry. Your episode's going to be like one of one where I'm not going to ask it. So you, you have the special episode, but I will ask Shane and everybody going forward. You're at a, like a picnic and whatever kind of burger, it could be a veggie burger, hamburger, I don't care, burger. Okay. Yep. What condiments are you putting on your burger? What is your ideal? You've got to spread anything you can imagine is on the table. What are you putting on your burger as the perfect condiments? The most atypical lettuce, tomato, onion, and I would do ketchup and mustard. Nothing wrong with that. Classic as can be. Yeah, extremely. I've switched throughout my life, but I'm back on the classic at this point. So that's the answer that's true for me now. <laughs> well, Shane, thank you very much. I hope you enjoy a delicious burger, delicious uh, sort of classic American hamburger. Throw some cheese on there. You got a good time. I hope you have good holidays and uh, thank you so much. Yeah, you as well. Thank you so much, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining Ryan McKean in the Law Student Lounge where real law students talk about their real lives. Are you a law student with a story to tell? Learn how you can share your story with us in the episode description. And join us next time in the Law Student Lounge.